We desire to hear from more than a man. The only person who is worshipped in the kingdom of heaven is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And um, so we are going to expect to hear from Him by His Holy Spirit who is with us right now. And not just so that we are tickled and enjoy it. We want to hear Him because we desperately, if we understand, need to hear from heaven. And as we hear from heaven and do what He says, He establishes His kingdom and advances it in the earth through us. The most exciting thing that we can have and the ultimate reason that we even exist on this planet, to be his ambassadors. So let's open up our heart big with faith and expectation, not in the man, in the man, Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for the reality that you said that you would build your church on this rock of revelation. And uh, Lord, we are asking you by your Holy Spirit, just as you opened up the Apostle Peter's eyes to know who you were, You said flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but the Father in heaven. And Lord, we ask in this room today, November 4th, 2018, that eyes be opened to to see and to have revelation knowledge from your Holy Spirit that would change and transform us. We thank you, Lord, that you love speaking to your people and you promised your sheep know your voice. So we ask that we would hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've been looking at promises of Jesus. And um, over the past couple weeks, various promises that he made in the Gospels, the idea is that whatever Jesus promises, we can bank on it. I mean, whatever God says, we can bank on it. But surely I want to pay special attention to the promises that Jesus made while he was with us for his three and a half years of ministry as a, a, on earth. And um, we talked about uh, the promise of Jesus, of we, kind of some of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. We touched on, on those things, kind of navigating life's difficulties uh, through, with the promises of Jesus. We're going to kind of have some of that this morning, uh, life's difficulties. Uh, we heard the promise of Jesus that my sheep hear my voice. That's not something that hopefully happens. That's something that happens as a result of being his, his, uh, his sheep. And then um, this past week, we talked about revelation knowledge, that we would, we would have our eye, the eyes of our heart open, that we would see the mysteries and, of the kingdom of heaven, and uh, that that would transform us. Today, the promise of salvation. Now, that may sound like boring. I'm already a Christian. I've already been saved, so don't really need that. Well, let's dig into what salvation actually means because it is more, my friends, than simply going to heaven when you die. Um, So here's the scripture. Let's open this up. This will be kind of the key promise that we look at, and we'll go into some various things. But John 10, verse 9, Jesus says this, I believe after saying that my sheep know my voice, he says this, I am the door... And again, he's speaking in the context of sheep and a shepherd. And he's, when he talks about the door, he's actually talking about the door into a sheepfold. And he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he will be saved is the promise. And he will go in and out 
and find pasture. These are promises that if we enter in by him, we will be saved. Now, what does saved actually mean? There's a Greek word translated into our Bible as saved, into English as, as, as the word saved. The original Greek word is sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo, and it actually means, well, I'll, I'll actually read you what the translation of this word means. It means to be saved, it means to be delivered, it means to be healed, and it means, it means to be made entirely whole. So this, this is more than just, I'm going to heaven when I die. And how many of you would agree with me, if anyone enters by me, he would be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture? That, to me, does not sound like a promise where Jesus is talking about the afterlife. Going in and out and finding pasture has to do with our life. So being saved is way more than just this, like, fire insurance for heaven. Being saved, in fact, listen to this, when Jesus, in the same chapter, I believe, says, eternal life, no, it's John 17, eternal life is this. Not going to heaven when you die. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know me, you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God is eternal life. And for those of you who have been saved, like I had when I was 17 or 18 years old, had an encounter with God, received him, you know what it is to know him, to come into relationship with him. That is salvation. That is the beginning of eternal life that happens to just go into another realm of fullness when I earthly pass away and go into eternal life, but the reality of the kingdom of heaven and the life that I will live in its full after I physically die begins the moment I receive Jesus. His Holy Spirit comes into me, the kingdom of heaven is within me, and I can live more and more as an ambassador of that kingdom now in this earth, under his rule, under his leadership and guidance, while still here as a testimony of heaven in the earth. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. That, my friends, is what salvation is. Yes. Not just going to heaven when we die, it's that the kingdom of heaven begins to manifest and operate and bring healing to us here now. Yeah. That, to me, makes church a little bit more exciting. Yeah. <laughs> And Jesus, and, and, and the reality that the gospel, which essentially means good news, it is good news. Yes. It's not just like some religious stuff, it's good. Yes. It, so the promise is, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. So here's, let's work through this. Everything in the kingdom of heaven, when you walk into the sheepfold, so to speak. What, that, what he's talking about is there's that which was, is without or outside of the sheepfold, using that as an, an illustration or an analogy, and then there's that which was inside the sheepfold, and you pass into the sheepfold through Jesus who says he is the door. Am I making sense? And this idea of salvation is you pass through Jesus into another realm under his care where he's, he's kind of the, the master of that realm, if you will. That is the kingdom of God. That realm you pass through Jesus and enter into his domain. Now, we are taught to pray by the same Jesus, the kingdom of heaven come, the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Yeah. That's how we're taught to pray. And so, for some of us, that's just been religious jargon. For Jesus, it is not. Yeah. It is intense with meaning. 
that the kingdom of heaven would come and the will of God would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that idea of the kingdom, as we said a few weeks ago, is broken into two words. Kingdom. King's domain. What is the kingdom of God? It's simply the domain of the king. And this kingdom has a king, and his name is Jesus. God the Father who created all things has appointed his son to be king over all things. And, and, and at the fall of man, with the sin of mankind, we came out from that kingdom, out from under that jurisdiction, and, and the world became darkened because of sin. And because of Jesus, we now have access back into the kingdom while still in this fallen earth that the, our hearts can become made alive through the Holy Spirit to have the kingdom of God once again in us. And he wants us to live while in the kingdoms of this earth for us, that means the United States of America, yet living under the headship and the rulership of King Jesus. And as we do that, the kingdom of God manifests in my life, and the people of this earth who are not in the kingdom see through me what he is like. We're good? Everything in the kingdom of heaven operates under the lordship of Jesus. See, this is the lost art in the body of Christ is for some reason we... I'll tell you exactly what the reason is. It's because we don't see him. We, don't, we, we fail to see Jesus' goodness. And as a consequence, we pull our trust out from him so easily and try to live with the blessings of the kingdom of God, yet not under his lordship. It doesn't work that way. He is the shepherd. You can't leave the flock and expect the same blessings of being in the flock to follow you. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life as I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm, I'm changing the wording, so I'm not meaning to change your words. <laughs> don't, don't strike me. The idea of Psalm 23, though, which I just quoted, kind of quoted, is the Lord is my shepherd. If I'm following him, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And can I, I'm not even going to clarify, but even following the shepherd doesn't mean that everything is going to go well for you at all times. But you, you've passed through the valley of the shadow of death, and he is with you, and he brings you into pasture. You understand what I'm saying? So this kingdom operates under the direction of the king, and, and it's the fuel that gives you the energy to do the will of the king in this earth, in, under his lordship, but living in this earth, is the grace of God. We're going to talk about that and that we access the scriptures, New Testament, in terms of how do we access the grace of God. There are only two things that the New Testament will ever say that we access the grace of God by. Faith and humility. Faith and humility. So I hope that as we discuss this, that it's going to become so simple, so clear, so easy. Because the kingdom of heaven is. You do not need to be an intellectual genius to get this thing of the kingdom. It's actually way more of a heart thing than it is an intellectual thing. That you submit yourself to the shepherd. And you can't even do that unless you know he's good. Which, which, by the way, is the very reason that he had to come into this earth and down a cross so that there forever is a testimony that while we were sinners, he was loved us so much that he was willing to give up everything for us. We know he's good, right? If that's true. He didn't die on a cross after we proved that we're going to be good enough and then he was willing to do his thing before we did anything fully undeserving. 
he decided to come and, and pay that price to give us the hope of being able to come into this kingdom. That's his goodness. <clears throat> All right. So when you enter a realm, which is what we're talking about, this sheepfold, you enter into another realm. You pass from one into another. When I was 18 years old, I gave my, my life to Jesus. And in that moment, I confessed, Jesus, you're my Lord. I, I remember saying, I put my life in your hands. Nobody taught me to say that. I just, it just came out of my mouth. Yeah, I put my life in your hands. And I knew he was my leader now. I'm going to live the rest of my life behind his leadership. And I crossed, the Bible says, from darkness into light. I came into a new realm, if you will. And in this new realm, when you enter a new territory, another a country, let's say, or another realm that's under another jurisdiction, there are ways that that place operates by. And when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, there are ways that that kingdom operates that are different from what you're used to. And it's a step of faith, it's a walk of faith to live in the kingdom in this world because it's not going to be comfortable. Because the ways of this king differ greatly from what you have been used to or what this world teaches you. And so uh, when I moved to South Africa in 2009, I, uh, I, going to restaurants, I began to realize that every time I wanted water, as we say, it was not understood. And so I'd be like, you know, give me some, I don't know, some burevors and some water. And they would say, I'm sorry, what? And, and water. And so what I learned is that Americans, I'm going to pick on us a little bit here, we say wa instead of wo. And instead of pronouncing our T correctly, don't throw a rotten tomato at me, we say duh, water, instead of wolta. Okay, you follow, you follow what I'm saying? So I, I eventually realized, as awkward as it felt, I would say, Burevors in water. And I pronounced the T and pronounced the, the W differently, and suddenly the heavens opened and they understood me. <laughs> now, I could have fought and said, well, you know, I'm an American and you need to bend to my ways because we kind of are the leaders of the world and, and you know, figure out what I mean. But mm, not going to work. If I want to be understood, I need to conform to the ways of this new realm that I'm living in. In the exact same way, when we enter into the realm of Jesus, it's his ways. And our ways are continuously conforming to his ways. But can I tell you something? As they do, it's way better. It may feel awkward on the front end. It will feel awkward on the front end. But it is way better. Better. <laughs> so let me, let me, I shared this with somebody in the room earlier in the, in the week, but let's talk about how do we enter in by him, as he says? How do we actually enter in by him? I want to remind us all that in the beginning of this thing called church, it happened on the day of Pentecost. Some of you know the story. Roughly 120 people in an upper room, they're praying day in, day out, because Jesus told them to go tarry in a place of prayer until the promise of the, Holy, the Father comes to them, the Holy Spirit. And one day, on the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, they begin to speak in cloven tongues of fire, and a wind, a sound of a rushing mighty wind blows through the place. It's a good church service, by the way, right? And, uh, 
and, and they're all speaking in other tongues, and, and, and there are people outside from all around the region who are gathered together, people from Persia and from Egypt and from all, all around. They're all gathered together in this place, and they begin to hear these strange people who are, in what they hear is they're praising God in their own language, and they start accusing them of being drunk. They said, oh, you're drunk with, with wine, and, and, and they said, no, we're not drunk with Actually, Peter stands up and says, do not think that we're drunk. Because it's, uh, what, it was 10.30 in the morning, 9, 9.30 in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning. And we're not drunk. But this is that which the prophet Joel promised, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And he begins to launch into the first proclamation of the gospel ever, that ever happened after Jesus rose into, ascended into heaven. The first time a man or woman, don't get hung up on gender, the first time a person who had been trained by Jesus, a follower of Jesus, stood up and became the one to herald the gospel. And that gospel presentation, I would say, I would dare say is rather important that we study that one. This is the beginnings of the church. This is the presentation of Jesus into the earth. And it concludes with this verse right here. How do we enter into the sheepfold? Listen to this. Therefore, Peter says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. Can I pick on you a little bit? Pick on us a little bit. That's Acts 2, verse 36. Acts 2, verse 36. Can I pick on us a little bit? Peter did not say, let us know assuredly that Jesus, whom you have crucified, God has made your personal Savior. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've asked a person, how do you, how do you receive Jesus? Well, we, you know, he, we ask him into our heart. <laughs> I struggled to even find a verse for that. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen in relationship to how do we get saved. Or we ask him to become our personal Savior. I don't even know. Okay. God has made Jesus... Lord. And if in, in the original presentation, before all the church twisted it and perverted it back in its simplest form, God, who created all things, has conferred all of his authority onto the man Jesus. If you want to come back to God, confess him as Lord. That is how the kingdom of heaven operates. Under lordship, because the call of the church isn't just to go to heaven when you die, it's the kingdom coming again, manifesting in the earth as it is in heaven, and for us to have any hope of walking in that, we confess as we come through, Jesus, you are Lord. And if we can live in that confession, I made that confession at the age of 18. I can't tell you how many times I have been tempted to step out from that confession. Or I have, if truth be told, stepped away and found myself in a place where I'm not really trusting in God. The growth and maturity from the moment you receive Jesus is living very simply under that confession. (laughs) Everything I face in life, Jesus, you are Lord. I'm no longer trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in my job. I'm not trusting in these people. I'm not trusting. Yes, I need stuff, but ultimately you 
It all operates under your direction. And in that, we are saved. That's what it means to be personal Savior, is in the context of him being Lord. Enter by me, and you will be saved. Made whole. Because my leadership is full of love and benevolence towards you, even so much so that I would die for your welfare. So, let's go on. What isn't entering into salvation? Going to church? I believe in being a part of a biblically-based, God-loving church, but going to church doesn't mean that I'm walking in the kingdom of heaven. Believing facts about Jesus. So many people say, well, you know, the Bible says you've got to believe that he's the son of God and God raised him from the dead. Demons believe that. It says believe in your heart. It's not just mental assent to some facts about Jesus. I knew all that stuff for 17 years and I didn't know Jesus from a hill of beans. <laughs> so it's not believing facts about Jesus. It's not identifying as Christian rather than some other religion. It's not growing up in church. It's not even being involved in the ministry. It's a confession of Jesus as Lord. And so I want to ask us as a congregation of people here, a collection of people, do I confess Jesus to be my Lord? (laughs) Do I confess him to be my Lord? There is something powerful, by the way. It says in Romans that if you... Believe in your heart, and if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. There's something powerful, by the way, about not even just believing it, but saying those words, Jesus is Lord. Paul says that no one can say uh, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, do you know how many people who don't know Jesus are able to say those words? So he's not saying that you can't physically say the words. It's the confession from faith. It can only happen by the Holy Spirit when the eyes of your heart are open to see that he's Lord, but confess it after you see it. And when life happens to you, confess it again. Every day. Confession. Jesus is Lord. Activation. So what is the fuel, as we said earlier? We want to live under this lordship and live in this sheepfold where his will is being done and we want to follow him, what is the fuel, the energy that enables us to do what he calls us to do? Because when, as I've walked with the Lord, I've discovered that he calls me to do things that I don't feel like I can do. What I'm doing right now, when he began to show me that I'm called to do this, I was horrified. It was like the biggest fear in my life. And so what is this energy that enables us to do it? It's the grace of God. So we live under his lordship and we operate in his grace and that grace is activated, it's found, it's accessed by two things, faith and humility. Faith and humility. Grace is the enabling empowerment to live and to do the will of the king. So, so I know that there is another aspect of grace. Grace is also <clears throat> that thing that's a gift of God that even though you're not worthy, it, 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 it's like a gift that he gives you to say, I'm not going to look at your sin that disqualifies you. Because how many of you know you're disqualified from the pure, holy of holy presence of God, right? You're disqualified, but God says, I love you so much 
that I'm going to have my son be the substitute for you so that if you just receive him in your imperfection, if you just put your trust in him, that I will, when I see you, I'll look at him rather than you. And I'll see his righteousness and say, you're my son, come on in. You're my daughter, come on in. That's grace. It's a gift that allows us, even though we're not worthy, and you never will be. I mean, for years, I was waiting. God, when am I going to be mature enough? When am I going to finally feel like you're done with me and I've got all my stuff sorted out? Never! (laughs) Until he returns and he gives us a glorified body that has no sin in it. But until then, you and I are in a process. And you need, and we need to realize God's grace. It's already accomplished. You can't do anything about it. You can try to undo it. You can try to do it. None of it's going to make any difference. He's already done it. And as long as you put your faith in Jesus as Lord, you have access to God by the grace of God. It's a gift. It covers you, and it enables you to move forward in the process that he has for you. But the other thing that it does is it is an energy to not only make you able to access God, but then in a relationship with God, he begins to stir things in your life. He begins to cause you to become aware of things he wants you to do. It begins to cause you to uh, be aware of things he doesn't want you to do. For me, that was a pornography addiction. I've shared that often. Uh, But it was many other things. Things that we ought not to do, things we ought to do. In either case, I need power beyond myself to to do or not do them. You following? So let's talk about this. Grace that empowers Romans 12, 6. Just Just in case you're wondering, does grace really mean what I say it's meaning? Listen to this. Having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Rodney so wonderfully put it right at the end of worship that he's given us all purpose and gifting and and as we engage God that he stirs those things. That's what he's talking about. God gives us gifts by his grace. Everyone in this room has been called to have a gift of Jesus inside of you that is necessary for the building of the church. It's fueled by his energy and his ability. And as you follow him, he'll, he'll lead you into operating in that thing. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was, which was in me. Hallelujah. I want you to understand what I just said. The grace of God was in the Apostle Paul to labor. So so he calls us to do stuff. But when it's grace, it's fueled by energy from heaven that feels good. People can look at you and say, how did you get the energy to do that? Because it's, I'm living under him. and, And I'm wired to do this. Now let me say again, if I would have gone with what I was comfortable with, I would never be standing here right now. So it's not to say you're wired so it's all going to feel very natural and easy. No, oftentimes, moving into the grace of God looks like a leap of faith. Surrendering to him despite the fact of how it makes you feel. But once surrendered, once under the lordship, operating in his will, watch out. (laughs) So, let me just share this. Life is, our desire once we receive Jesus is that 
as much as is possible, our life becomes completely fueled by the grace of God and not our own strength. Every second, every moment, every situation, every decision, we want to be living under his lordship by the grace of God. That is your pursuit from the moment that you say yes to Jesus. It's his kingdom coming, finding his will and grace to walk in that will. Does that make sense? Everything that you do today, this week, that's our, that's our goal. We're pursuing finding the grace of God. And so um, what, are some idea, what are some things just to share with you of what it's like to be living in grace? Not to say that most of you don't know to some degree, but this is still helpful. It feels right, and it feels like God is in it. You just have this sense. You ever have, you ever, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you're, you're living, and there's some part of your life or something that you're involved in that just doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel right. And you're, it's like you're trying to squeeze a round peg into a square hole. You're, you're trying to make it be the will of God. But there's just not grace. The grace of God feels right. It feels like God is in it. Another thing is that it stems from your faith. You believe that it's right. You're involved in some activity. It could be a conversation that you're having to a major life decision. You, it stems from your faith and you believe there's something in you. You may not have Gabriel, the angel, come to you and say, this is the will of God. I want you to go to Michael and tell him this. It, it, it may just be something that seems right. But it feels right, feels like God's in it, and it feels, thirdly, energized by him. It feels energized by God as opposed to your own strength. And there were things I was involved in as an early Christian that I quickly began to discern when I do those things, I don't feel God in that. I feel God grieved by that, actually. So beginning to repent, that's not your will. You're my king. I confess you as Lord. I can see this is not your, under your lordship, so I'm going to repent and move over here in obedience and more and more and more trimming off that which is not of God so that we can make space for that which is God. And ultimately that God... We would be like Paul who says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's your, that's your goal. To be no longer living, Christ living inside of you. And he is good. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> so grace is accessed by faith and humility. This is where we'll where we'll kind of tie it up. Grace is accessed by faith and humility. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5.2. I'm going to read three, three scriptures to you quickly just to reinforce what I'm saying. Romans 5.2 says this. Paul says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I hope that makes sense. So if grace were a room... This, this room was the grace of God. We have access into this room by faith so that we can stand in this place called grace. And if you want to live in the energy of heaven called the grace of God, the will of God, you access that thing by faith. Another scripture, and we're going to talk about what that means in just a second. Ephesians 2.8, Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Two very important terms. By faith through grace. 
Sorry. By grace, through faith. <laughs> Thank you. Which you taught a series in a Bible school, by, by grace through faith. Uh, by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Again, it's by grace, the energy from heaven, it happens by grace. Every time we do something on his behalf in the earth, it's by grace, but it happens through faith. We access that thing by faith. And then humility, James 4, 6, and you could also look, if you wanted to, 1 Peter 5, I think it's 15. He gives great, he get, but God, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. What are the two things that access the grace of God? Faith and humility. Faith and humility. It's actually so simple. It's our pride that actually is our biggest enemy. And some of us think pride means that we're walking around all haughty and we think we're big business. No, your pity party is human pride. It is saying, God, you are not big enough to solve my problems. So I'm just going <laughs> to... Pride. To, to say to God, who made the whole thing, you're not good enough. Humility that set is the equation. It's faith saying, God, you are big enough, and I surrender to you because you are big enough. I can walk in the grace of God to do what man otherwise can't do. And so uh, I'll just share from my own story because sometimes it's good to share personal testimony. So there was a time not too long ago where I was just overwhelmed. And like I said before, following Jesus does not mean that you're going to walk through perfection and everything is, you know, bad things happen, but immediately it changes. No, sometimes it's a journey. And it actually is for the purpose of maturing us. Yes. Now, am I saying that God does bad things to you? I would say there's a strong scriptural uh, uh, argument that he does not do things, in fact, to you, like bad things. Like, did God give you cancer? I would make a statement, yeah, yeah, that's a weird dad. You know, if I want to teach my 14-year-old some lesson, I'm not going to give him cancer. But anyways, that's... And Jesus came healing all who were afflicted with disease. So, but the reality is we live in a fallen world. And cancer and evil and rape and lying and hatred and death, etc. The whole thing exists in this earth. And when we follow Jesus in this earth, we walk through the same stuff that the other people walk through. The difference is, is that God is able to bring salvation as we follow him through it. And I was going towards a point. <laughs> and I was in a situation. Thank you, Rodney. And, uh, and I, I just began to, to pray. And it was just the impossible circumstances. And as I began to pray, the phrase came to me. Just a faint little thing came into my, into my heart. From Isaiah 61, I wasn't even thinking of it being Isaiah 61. If you don't know, Isaiah 61 is like a key text for this church, as far as our calling. And uh, the phrase came, beauty from ashes. And in that moment, 
I just, again, this wasn't like the angel Gabriel. The the clouds didn't part and the word came. It was just a tiny little thing that happened in my heart. But in that moment, I began to feel like I need to confess beauty for ashes. I'm I'm not going to confess because I want beauty instead of ashes, and so I'm just confessing because then God has to... It's because his word says, I will give them beauty for ashes, and therefore I can know this is the will of my Lord. Remember lordship? I know, it's, I know his lordship brings beauty for ashes, so I began to speak to my ashes. And as I did, I just faith began to rise. I said, you, you, you ashes become beautiful. And as I did, I began to just have this faith rise up in my heart that the very ashes of my life, my particular circumstances, God was going to make those something that I would be able to give away to other people. Beauty for ashes. And then I begin to remember the rest of that verse. He will give him beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. And so I began to just confess that. Lord, not give me the oil of joy. You have given me the oil of joy for mourning. And so I take this mourning and I put it aside and I, and I rejoice. I'm, I am choosing to be joy. And, and actually the word from Psalms began to come up that you, you give, them, uh, give him a sacrifice of joy, which sometimes it feels like a sacrifice just to be, choose to be joyous in trusting in him. And I began to do that. Do you know what happened? Some of you are going to think I'm a little weird, but I, 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 don't, I don't care too much. Uh, with all due respect. Humility. Uh, <laughs> humility. <laughs> Uh, and I, I mean that with all respect. It's not that I don't care I, about you and your percept, whatever. I, but I have learned this is freedom. Yes. I, it's an oil of joy for mourning. And I, I began to just begin to jump. And I just began to, because I, was, I knew these circumstances are temporary. Right. But God says, God says, I shall see his goodness in the land of the living. In other words, here in this earth. And I just began to say, I'm going to see your goodness. I don't have to care about this situation. As I did, I began to laugh. And it was like the laughter, the best way I know how to, 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 to describe it, it's the laughter of when, some of you sports fans know what I'm talking about, when you've been tracking your team and you get to the end, like the NBA Finals, the World Series, the Super Bowl especially, and, uh, and your team wins, and it's like all the tension and the stress and the desiring to see them win, it finally happens, and there's like this release, and you're just like, Wah-ha-ha! you know what I'm saying? I just began to release joy because by the Holy Spirit, not because of my circumstances, the Holy Spirit, I knew circumstances are sorted. God is with me, and I just began to just celebrate and dance. Oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so, uh, and I began to thank God. He exchanges my spirit of heaviness with praise. And it gives me a, a something, every time I feel that spirit of heaviness, I can cast it off with praise. And it's not just some fleshly act of thing, something I'm trying to do. It's real I can anchor my praise in knowing who he is and choosing to see that rather than my circumstances. And if I could just end it here, Psalm 143. I just want to read this psalm over us as a picture very similar to what I just described in my own life of how David exercises faith and humility. Because that's what we're getting at. That thing that I just described to you, 
That's what it looks like practically, especially going through impossible circumstances. And in Detroit, the city that we're called to serve, there are numerous impossible circumstances. And God actually is most comfortable. He's least comfortable when, when man has it all figured out. It's when man has nowhere else to turn. That's where he's most comfortable. Because he can most bring light into that darkness, most bring glory into that ruin. And Isaiah 61 is about rebuilding ruins, raising up those who are destroyed by this earth, and they actually become the rebuilders of ruins. That's what you and I are called to do in the city and in the nations. And to, and to in our negative circumstances, see, negative circumstances that you and I are walking through right now, they are for you to seek and find God so that through you will come a testimony that's going to set others in this city free. Do you believe that? Yes. It's true. If we'll follow the Lord. Psalm 143. First off, four things. Just going to go through it quickly. Read it and just say it. The first thing that, that David did to encourage himself in the Lord and to exercise faith and humility in trying circumstances. Be real and honest. So many, so much of us in, in the church, we just try to, like our life is in shambles and we're just like, praise the Lord, you're good. And you're, sometimes you hit the rock bottom and it's okay. As I've said a few times, like all I have left is crying. <laughs> As pathetic as that is, and, and the only thing I know to pray is help. Right. Now, don't make a habit of that, but there are times in life right. where that's it, you. Here's what David says. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness, do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He's just letting God know. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been long dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is in distress. Be real. You hear that? Don't try to masquerade it over and just be real. He already knows anyway. But secondly, begin to recall the testimony of God's goodness. Verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. That, my friends, is important when you're walking through impossible circumstances. Whatever testimony you can retract from what God has done, that's why two-thirds of the scripture is simply history, so that we have a record of what God has done so that when we're walking with him today, and there's a Red Sea in front of us, and there's an Egyptian army behind us, and I've got nowhere else to turn, I can remember. That God is a God who splits the oceans. Thirdly, out of four, let that faith, as you begin to build your faith in meditating on what he has done, let that faith build you into seeking and trusting him again. It's a heart connection that you begin to say, you, oh, I remember now. You're the God who created heaven and earth. You're the God who is with your people. You're the God who is faithful even when we're unfaithful. You're the God who is able. You begin to do that and your heart begins to respond to begin to being able to seek him and trust him. And David says this, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails 
Do not hide your face from me unless I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. That's humility. For I lift my soul to you. That's humility. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. You hearing this? And fourthly and lastly, make your deliverance actually about his testimony and not just what you want. In other words, this whole thing you're walking through, it's so that others would know that he is good after you find out how good he is. David says this, Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. What does that mean? Your reputation. That what people think of you when they look at me. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Can I ask that we, if you haven't already done so, confess Jesus as Lord. And if you have done so, I, yeah, I did it 22 years ago, I guess it was, 23 years, something like that, and I need to do it again. Can I, can I confess, if you have faith in your heart to confess with the knowledge of what we're saying and the understanding that we're talking about here, confess Jesus yes. is Lord. Go ahead and, and you can whisper it under a breath. Jesus, you are Lord. We confess you are Lord. We confess you are my Lord. I give you my life. Be my shepherd. I enter in through you <laughs> as the door. And I want to ask that we can commit to this Lord to seek his will and to put our faith in him and humble ourselves so that we live in his grace. Lord, we put our faith and trust in you. Our life is entirely surrendered to you and we're happy to say that. Lord, we ask you to teach us to live in your will. Whatever you do, we want to, whatever you say, we want to do it. And we receive grace to do whatever you've called us to do or to not do whatever we don't need to be doing. We receive your grace. And we thank you for your promise. You can receive the promise. As we enter in by the door, we are saved. We receive your wholeness, your leadership, your protection, your goodness, your guidance healing in Jesus' name. Amen.